0: لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وَإِنَّ شَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْتَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْتَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارٍ So today's lecture is an explanation of the ayah in the Qur'an that relates to wudu' and tayammum. And this is covered by the Sheikh Rahimahullah, Sheikh Obed, over a series of uh, sittings, two or three sittings. So over the next maybe two or three lessons Inshallah, ta'ala we will uh, uh, cover this topic. And this is related to the fiqh of the ahkam, the fiqh of the rulings, comprehension of the rulings. And the very first of those is in relation to purification because after the Tawheed of Allah after the singling out of Allah in His worship, in His names, in His attributes, in His Lordship, after a person declares the Kalimah La ilaha illallah and actualizes Tawheed, then the very first of the affairs which are obligatory upon him after that is the issue of the prayer. And the prayer itself requires purification. And so thus, the issue of the tahara, what is tahara, what is purification, this is the first of the rulings and first of the obligations as it precedes the prayer that is obligatory upon a Muslim. And so this fiqh, this comprehension, is of two types therefore there is the fiqh of uh, the affairs of creed, the affairs of Tawheed, the affairs of Aqeedah. Some scholars, they refer to this as Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar, al-fiqh al-akbar which is the greater comprehension, the greater understanding. And as for the fiqh of the rulings, the Ahkam, the rulings that pertain to the affairs of worship and the uh, dealings and interactions that we have then this is again same scholars say that this is al fiqh al asghar right which is the, the the minor understanding or the minor comprehension so as we said the first of those is the issue of the purification and Comprehending these affairs, understanding these affairs is a sign that Allah intends goodness for us because as the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he said, Mayuridillahu bihi بِهِ خَيْرًا to whomsoever Allah, uh, to whomsoever Allah intends to show goodness, He gives him comprehension comprehension of the religion. Comprehension of the religion, and so therefore, it is important that we pay attention to these affairs, especially the affairs that we are in need of on a day-to-day basis, uh, from the purification and the prayer, and likewise those which, uh, you know, come every year, such as the the fasting uh, and and the Eid's and so on and so forth. These are things which a Muslim must have comprehension of. So the Shaykh, Rahimullah, after praising Allah and sending Salat and Salam upon the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says that this gathering and the gatherings that will come after it, insha'Allah, then the speech in these gatherings will be comprised or will, will relate to and comprise uh, the statement of Allah in uh, Surah uh, al Maida. Ya to the end of the ayah. So this is known as ayatul wudu or ayatul tayammum, because it mentions the, the the description of the pillars or the or the requirements of the wudu and also the tayammum and so the Shaykh, first of all, in his uh, discussion, he explains to us that this ayah, Ayatul Wudu or Ayatul uh, it, Allah has mentioned here four things. There are four or five issues Allah has conveyed to us in this particular verse. The first of those is what is called At-Taharatu sugra At-Taharatu sughra Which is the minor purification, the minor purification or the lesser purification, which we know as al-wudu. Okay, so al-wudu. When we say al-wudu, this is a type of purification, but it is the minor purification. This is the first thing mentioned in or comprised in this verse. The second thing comprised in this verse, in the in the rest and the completion of the verse is At-Taharatul-Kubra. At-Taharatul-Kubra. Which is the greater purification, which is Ghusl. What we refer to as Al-Ghusl. This is the greater purification. The third thing that the verse comprises is, it informs us what can take the place of the minor purification and the greater purification and which is permissible for a Muslim to use for the prayer, meaning to to make himself pure for the prayer. So, the minor purification and the greater purification, if a Muslim is unable to achieve these by way of water then there is a replacement and an alternative that a Muslim can use by which he is allowed to perform the prayer, which enables him to perform the prayer and to remove uh, the impurity from himself. Right? That's the third thing that this verse comprises. And the fourth thing that the verse comprises is, he says, Al-Hikmah uh, min mashru'iyyati al-tayammum inda which is the wisdom, the wisdom behind the legislation of Tayammum, right? So Tayammum is an alternative to purification with water. And this verse mentions the wisdom behind the legislation of Tayammum when there is no water to purify oneself, and that Allah He intends to remove hardship from his Ummah, right? So to remove hardship from the Ummah because a Muslim may encounter numerous situations, uh, no matter which part of the world he lives in, where he doesn't have access to water, clean water. And so therefore, you know, in order to enable him to pray if the time for prayer comes or to remove major impurity from himself, then, you know, there is an alternative, alternative for that and this is Uh, in order to remove hardship and difficulty from from the servants of Allah And then the Shaykh says there's also another fifth matter uh, that the verse comprises which is what is the reason for the legislation of all of these affairs? Why have these affairs been legislated in the religion, in the deen of Allah And the Shaykh mentions that at the end of the verse it is stated, tashkurun," In order that you may be grateful, that you may show gratitude to Allah. So these affairs, the purification and all of the rulings related to uh, purification, they are there to enable us to be grateful to Allah. So here, these five points mentioned by the Shaykh, this is basically just a general overview of this ayah and what the ayah comprises. And the Shaykh says that there shall be a detailed elaboration insha'Allah in, on each of these issues. And in this gathering, uh, in this first uh, installment of the series, uh, the Shaykh will discuss the issue of Al-Wudu' right? So we're going to discuss Al-Wudu' uh, the minor purification in this uh, in this particular lesson. So the Sheikh begins first of all, Rahimahullah, by saying that when we look at the beginning of the verse, Allah he begins the verse with a phrase that we are familiar with, Ya ayyuhal amanu, Ya ayyuhal amanu, O you who believe. And there are numerous wisdoms behind the use of this phrase or this statement in the Quran. The Sheikh says the first of them is that First of all, it is the people of Iman, obviously, who are specified by way of this call. And this is because they, the people of Iman, they are Ahlul Intifa' Ahlul bima yasma'una min Right, because the people of Iman, the one, those who have already believed, they are the ones who are going to benefit from what they are listening to, what they hear from the speech of Allah from the discourse of Allah uh, to them, they are the ones who are going to benefit from what Allah legislated, from what He revealed, from what He conveyed. So they will be admonished, or they will act, or they will refrain from a prohibition. All of these are affairs of benefit, which are, you know, which which only the people of Iman uh, can actually benefit from. And as the shaykh says, so they are the people of uh, benefit who listen, who hear the speech of Allah and that which he revealed to his Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So whether it is the Qur'an or whether it is the Sunnah, the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then they benefit from this revelation, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, both are revelation. And this is what Allah has indicated that the Sunnah is also revelation, as a side point the Shaykh mentions here, that not only is the Qur'an, it is obviously the speech of Allah, but the Sunnah is also revelation from Allah, but through the words of the Prophet Wasallam. And he mentions three verses in the Qur'an to establish this. Uh, first of them is the statement of Allah in Surah, Surah Al-Najm at the beginning. That he, the messenger, does not speak from his own desire. It is nothing but revelation which is inspired to him. And similarly, the statement of Allah in Surah Al-Hashar وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولِ فَخُذُوهُ عَنْهُ fantahu. Whatever the messenger gives to you, then take it, meaning act upon it, and whatever he prohibits you from, then refrain, keep away from it. And likewise, the statement of Allah in Surah Ali Imran, in kuntum Say, if you truly love Allah, then follow me, meaning follow the messenger. Allah will love you thereby and will forgive you your sins. So these are only three verses in the Qur'an from many which indicate that that which the Messenger of Allah uh, says or utters in explanation of the Qur'an and in actualizing the teachings of the Qur'an in his speech, in his behavior, in his conduct, in his worship, in his dealings, then all of that is considered to be revelation. This is revelation and there are many many evidences besides these from the quran itself to prove that the sunnah is revelation this is a refutation of a group or a sect that the messenger of allah himself mentioned would appear in his ummah and they are the rejecters and the deniers of the sunnah or those who believe only in the quran the quraniyun as as they are called, because they they believe only in the Quran. So this is a refutation of these people. These people are present. They are present in the Muslim lands, uh, and um, you know there there are reasons for for their appearance. Uh, one of those reasons is is their confusion and ignorance in the matter of the transmission of the Sunnah, transmission of the Hadith, and transmission of the Sunnah because they are ignorant people and they do not understand this uh, science and this discipline and this means by which authentic reports have been preserved and uh, protected and separated from the weak and fabricated reports. And because they're ignorant, then they they cast doubt upon the Sunnah as a whole. It's one of the reasons. Another reason goes back in history is because they employ reason over revelation. They believe There are many things that that do not agree with the intellect and so therefore they deny uh, aspects of the sunnah and from there deny the sunnah uh, as a whole. So there are reasons why these people appear but as a side point here these verses and many other verses also uh, there are many proofs and arguments that the scholars have have written. They've written works in refutation of this group, Uh, you know those who who reject uh, the sunnah. Anyhow, this is the first benefit from the statement, Ya ayyuhallaveen amanu. Right? Allah addresses us with this label and this label of Iman because the people of Iman are the ones who are going to benefit from the command and the prohibition. So when Allah commands, when He prohibits, then He will begin that phrase with Ya ayyuhallaveen amanu. The second benefit is obviously it is like a type of encouragement to to listen and this is because the best label or the best name or the label by which a person can be addressed is the label of Iman. Right? There is no better label than to be referred to as the as as a believer, a mu'min or as uh, the, the Ahlul Iman, the people of Iman, and so the wisdom in this again is that this, when, when we are when we are addressed and called by this label of Iman, the label of faith, or you who believe, or you who have faith, then this is an encouragement for us to uh, listen and to pay attention to what we are going to be told. And the Sheikh mentions the statement of Ibn Mas'ud and he is from amongst those companions who would not move beyond 10 verses at a time. So he would take 10 verses, memorize 10 verses, he would see what is in these verses of action and he would implement that uh, and act upon it and then he would move on to the next 10 verses. So this is Ibn Mas'ud عنه, and he said, إذا سمعت, إذا سمعت آمنوا, When you hear, O oh, you who believe, في Qur'an, when you hear this in the Qur'an, then he said, Sam fai وَإِمَّا شَرٌ تَنْهَا عَنْهُ تَأْمُرُ بِهِ وَإِمَّا شَرٌ تَنْهَا عَنْهُ So when you hear this, ya أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا in the Qur'an, then pay attention to it with your, with your hearing. Pay attention. Because either it is going to be some goodness that you are going to be commanded with, or it is going to be some evil that you are going to be prohibited from. So, this then is the second wisdom why Allah addresses us with Ya ayyuhallazina amanu in the Quran. And the Shaykh says this is an evidence for the great intelligence, deep uh, intelligence of Ibn Mas'ud, his intelligence, his, his, intelligence, his uh, sagacity, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know his his great understanding of the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sheikh says whoever reflects upon this verse on verses like this ya amanu you will find it occurring in the Quran more than 80 times uh, in the Quran and every time you go and you find this ayah, ya amanu you will see that what ibn mas'ud said رضي الله anhu is actually true that it is always followed either by a command or it is followed by a, by a prohibition. And so the Sheikh then goes on to give a number of examples. Uh, the first example, just to prove this, this point and to give illustrations. So first example here is, amanu. Then obviously the verse of Wudur. This is a clear example because we, we are dealing with this in, in, in this lesson. This is an example of Ya'ihuLadina Amanu followed by a, a command. In this case, the wudu or the tayammum uh, in relation to minor, impurific- minor impurification, impurity and major impurity. An example of a prohibition is the statement of Allah, <laughs> Ya'i. So, this is the statement of Allah in Surah Al Baqarah, verse 104. O oh, you who believe, do not say, Ra'ina, Ra'ina. We'll explain this in a minute. Waqoolu un-dhurna. So, here the believers were prohibited from saying to the messenger of Allah, Ra'ina. Now, this word, when you say Ra'ina, it means listen to us listen to our needs and help us and nurture us in relation to to our needs so listen to us now this word it so happened that this word in the uh, in the language of the Jews in the language of the Jews it means it used to be uh, basically Uh, uh, like a, a revilement upon a person. It would mean, Oh idiot! Right? In the language of the Jews. Oh foolish one! So when the Jews heard the Muslims saying this to the Prophet ﷺ in the Arabic language, in which it has its own meaning, they amongst themselves found a way to basically to make mockery. Of the Messenger of Allah, and you know, something that only they knew in their own language, they would use it and then they would laugh amongst each other, right? And knowing that the Muslims don't know what what they are saying. And then one of the companions, who is called Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, radiallahu anhu, one of the great companions, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, he knew their language, whatever language they were speaking, right? Hebrew, whatever it is he knew the language and he knew he understood what they were what they were basically saying so he came to them and he said if i hear any one of you if i hear any one of you say this again i'm going to strike his neck I'm going to strike his neck right so he so they were they were, they were you know he, he told them to stop saying this and then the believers in the quran were prohibited from saying raina even though it is something permissible to say. I mean, obviously in Arabic, there's nothing, nothing wrong with this statement to say this and to address the Messenger of Allah by way of this statement. But it was prohibited because it is something that can lead to an evil. And so from this, some of the scholars also deduce the principle also that sometimes a permissible thing can be prohibited if it leads to an evil thing, if it can lead to an evil thing, right? So they were prohibited from saying ra'ina, to saying unzurna. Um, so the Sheikh continues after this. So this is like an example of where in the Quran, Ya Ayuhalladina Amanu, is followed by a by a prohibition. So the Sheikh goes on to say after this that. Uh, the people of Iman, Ahlul Iman, they are people of the Sunnah. And obviously the people of the Sunnah, if you think about it, the people of the Sunnah are the ones who, to whom the label Ahlul Iman is most applicable. Why is that? Because they are the ones who respond the greatest to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, in what He commands, in what He prohibits. Because they are people of the sunnah. So therefore amongst all of the people of Islam, the people of the Muslims, those who are Ahlul Sunnah, uh, the followers of the way of the Prophet and his companions and of the Salaf, then they are the ones who are most worthy and they enter into this label of Ahlul Iman and being addressed by the Quran, Ya Amanu. They have the greatest share of all of that. Of, you know, of all of that. And they obviously are the are the greatest in terms of a reflection upon the Quran and seeing what it contains of command and prohibition and promise and threat and of stories and information and of rulings and so on and so forth. Why? Because they are the true, they are the followers of the uh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and they are the the choicest of the servants of Allah azza So that's the second benefit right the second benefit of of the wisdom behind that is that it makes a believer want to uh, listen to what is going to follow because it is either a command or a prohibition and the third benefit the Sheikh mentions there's another wisdom also which is again once again the person who's described or the one who is addressed by the most beautiful of names and the most uh, beloved of attributes then he will be quicker in responding to whatever the command or the prohibition is so when you when you are called by a label or a name that is beautiful and the best of labels and the best you know then you are more likely that you are going to you're going to respond and uh this you know also from, from experience, you know, even when you in your day-to-day life, when you address someone uh, with nice words and appealing words and good labels, like between a husband or a wife and a parent and a child, then they're more likely to, you know, they feel endeared and they're going to listen and, and respond. And so this is another wisdom that the Sheikh mentions here. So once all of this is clear and established, the Sheikh goes on to say that this noble verse, it is... In a general sense, it includes the fara'id, fara'id of wudu, the obligations of wudu. This is what the verse contains in a general sense. And there are four obligations of wudu mentioned in this verse. What are they? It is the washing of the face, the washing of the face, the washing of the hands to the elbow of, of the lower arm right washing of the lower arm inclusive of the elbows that's the second obligation the third obligation is the wiping of the head the wiping of the head and the fourth obligation is the washing of the feet to the ankles the washing of the feet to the ankles including the ankles. Okay, this is the wudur. These are the four basic general obligations that have to be present in wudur, without which your prayer would not be valid. Right? Without, you know, your prayer would not be valid. And also, purification is not permissible except by way of water. It can only be water anything other than water would not be permissible the scholars have mentioned this for example you know just because it's a fluid it could be say it's oil for example olive oil for example it's a fluid you can't you can't do wudu with oil and um you know other such uh, similar things which are like this you know some, something whose whose color has changed or whose taste has changed you know if you had like a soft drink for example you had a Fanta, for example, or something like this. Well you can't do you can't do wudu with that. Right? So it has to be uh, water. So anyhow the Shaykh says that this is generally what the ayah contains, right? So if someone says to you, What does the ayah of wudu contain? You say it contains the four general basic obligations of wudu, without which you cannot have wudu, you cannot pray, right? It is what is it? It is washing of the face. Washing the arms, uh, wiping the head, and washing the feet, the sheikh says goes on to say that these obligations there are uh, three uh, additional points that the that he goes on to mention is that there are some additional things as well so first of all is that there are additional things which the sunnah has come with right so the verse has only mentioned the basic four obligations then the sunnah has come and added details to those obligations which are not in the quran this is also a further proof for the necessity of the sunnah that we cannot do without the sunnah and the sunnah is part and parcel is is revelation along with the quran and we cannot separate from the two and this becomes clear, in many, in fact, in many of the of, of the rulings and the dealings, because the Quran has mentioned them in a general sense, and then the Sunnah has come and clarified them in a specific sense, in a detailed sense. So this is the first point we should observe: that when it comes to Wudu and other rulings, of course, uh, the Sunnah brings elaboration. So we have to go to the Sunnah to look at that elaboration. <coughs> the second additional point here is that when we now go to the sunnah when we now go to the sunnah we find that there that there are in fact another two obligations right which which uh, uh, which which are comprised in the in the wudu which is acceptable and the authentic sunnah has established that these other two obligations are first of all what we call a tartib at-târtib and the second is Al-Mualat. al What do these two mean? At-târtib means the order. Right? There's a specific order in which a person must implement these obligations or these, these elements of, of wudu. This is at-tartib. And the second thing is what we call al-mualat, which we can translate as either you know, uh, succession or continuity, right? The meaning that there mustn't be any delay. Right? You can't take a break from, from doing the wudu, right? That there cannot be any delay. There has to be continuity or succession, right? And the Shaykh will speak about that a bit a little later, inshallah. So, what do we learn now, right? So, again, uh, uh, in the Quran. Allah has established there are four obligations of the wudu in a single verse and also established the rulings of tayammum and, and you know that's later in the verse. However, the sunnah elaborates upon the Quran and adds to what is in the Quran in its details or in other affairs. And when we look in the sunnah, we find there, is an, there are another two things which are also obligations without which your wudu would be invalid. Right, which is that the correct order has to be maintained in the way in in the, the the things that you start with, and you you know you you in in your washing, and secondly is that ha- there has to be continuity and succession. It has to be all done like together, right? There can't be a break in between. So this is the second thing that the sheikh uh, points uh, to and alludes, and. Um, each of these will be explained in detail inshallah. Also, the first thing then, the Shaykh begins with the first Al-Fardhul Awwal, the first obligation which is what? It is washing of the face. This is the first thing that is mentioned. Right? So the washing uh, of the face and just as it occurs in the order in the Ayah. And the Shaykh says, Al-Wajh min al He defines what is face. Right? A face. Is that which you know uh, faces you, and you know everything has a face that is you know that that suits what what what, what it is. So, for example, we say wajhudar, the face of the wall. Uh, we say wajhudab, the face of the beast. Right. So anything, everything has like the face of the pillar. You know the uh, so on so forth. So here. What is intended here is the face of a man, a person, a human. And what is the definition of face? What is included in the face? The Sheikh goes on to explain is that in terms of the length, lengthwise, the face is from the beginning point of where the hairline is, the actual hairline, so whether you've got hair or not at that point, It's the the, what is normally the actual hairline, right? So even if you have receding hair, you are bald. Then your uh, head, the the face actually starts from where the hair would actually normally, uh, where it would have been, all the way down to the bottom here, which is between the two uh, jaws, the bottom, the chin, right here, the bone that is at the bottom here. So this is in terms of length, and in terms of width. This way, horizontally, then it is from ear to ear, right? From the start of the ear here to the other side of the ear here. This horizontally now is the face. This is what counts, this is what defined as the face. And so, therefore, the, the forehead, uh, you know, would, would be included here as well, the part of the, of the actual forehead. Um, and as the Sheikh goes on to say, That as for where does the hairline start, well, this is obviously this is you know, some people would would, would be bald or bald in some part of the head. But that which is generally known uh, is wherever the hairline was or is or should be, that's what's counted as, you know, the face starts from there and goes all the way down to the chin. So this is what is defined as the face. So the first thing, the first obligation, first obligation is to wash the face right all the way round to the ears all the way down here including the cheeks all the way to to the chin now as we said the sunnah comes and brings additional information or additional detail and then what we find in the sunnah the Sheikh says fi Sunnah ala hadha. Uh, it, it, the sunnah has added to this and it is included from washing the face which is al-madmada wal istinshaq. There are two additional things which are included within washing the face. And they are rinsing the mouth and snuffing, sniffing, up, uh, inhaling, sniffing up water in the nose. Right, So this now is part and parcel of, is, is within the definition of, of washing the face. And so that's why they are considered to be obligations because, because they are counted to be in the face or part of the face. Therefore to wash them in this manner is considered also to be an obligation. And as the Sheikh says, the most correct view is, because scholars have differed on this, but the most correct view is that it is obligatory to rinse the mouth. And to sniff up water up the nose. And uh, the Messenger of Allah he said, uh, You know, he said, Asbihil wudu'. He said, um, You know, be, be generous when you do, be generous and thorough when you make the wudu'. And, um, you know, uh, make sure that you wash between the fingers, in between like these places here, so that water reaches those parts and emphasize وَبَالِغْ فِي الْإِسْتِنْشَاقِ إِلَّا أَن تَكُونَ and emphasize the, the sniffing of, 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 of the nose unless you are fasting. And also in another narration right? تَوَدَّأْتَ right? So when you, when you make wudu, then rinse, meaning rinse the mouth and also the, uh, the nose, rinse the mouth and nose. So, the sheikh goes on to say that this madhbadah, Madmadah this this rinsing, is established from the Prophet sallallahu and he has a choice. Some most of the scholars say you can do it before washing the rest of the face, but it is also permissible to do it after washing the face. Right? Overwhelmingly, the Messenger of would do it uh, before washing the face, but it's also related from him that he would do it after as well. So, you have a choice in doing this, right? To uh, sniff up the nose and to rinse the mouth before you do the rest of the face or vice versa the other way around. Okay, so this now is the first obligation, right? Washing the face mentioned in a general sense in the Quran in that verse and then some additional details have been brought in uh, the Sunnah, Al-Madmada and Al-Istinshaq. Now, the second obligation mentioned after the face, is washing the yadain ilal mirfaqain washing the hands to and including the elbows, right? And the Shaykh defines what is the mirfaq and he says it is the kind of soft, the part where the skin is like soft, you know, between the upper arm and the between the, the, the lower arm and the upper arm, and uh, the Sheikh goes on to say, here we have wa'idiyakum ilal marafiq, meaning wash your hands open till, open till open till ilal marafiq to the marafiq, and the Sheikh says, okay, what does this mean now, because it said ilah ila right? The hands to the elbows. Does that mean? the limit of the elbow or does it mean inclusive of the elbow which of the two is it and because it can mean either of these two things and the Sheikh goes on to say that when we uh you know if we explain it from the angle that it refers to the limit then it means to the to the limit of the elbow and when we Take the word ila to mean inclusive of or alongside lil then it means you have to enter the elbows into the washing. And this is what is actually correct. It's, it's this meaning that is intended because we know that from the sunnah, where the part of the upper arm, Messenger would, you know, the water would reach that and he would wash a part of that. So this is what is actually intended. It is up to and including, not up to. It is up to and including uh, the elbow. So this simply is the second obligation, so it includes that the Yad is the actual hand, right, all the way up to the elbow. So as we will learn later, that, so these are four obligations, right, the first is the face, then it is the hands, then it is wiping with the head, then it is the feet. But the Sunnah has added other things and we learn that before you start with washing the face, then you wash the hand. You wash, you wash just the hand here, right? To the, el- to, the, to the wrist here. Right? But when you wash the arms, it includes the hand all the way to the elbow, not just from here to here. Right? It is the hand itself as well, all the way to here. So anyhow, that's the second obligation now. The third obligation that comes uh, in uh, the ayah is Mashur Ra'as which is wiping of the head. Wiping of the head. And the Messenger of Allah, he ordered every person who is going to perform the prayer uh, to wipe his head. However, what are the details of wiping the head? Because the verse only mentioned the wiping of the head. It didn't give the actual details. And so the wiping of the head um, is... Uh, the Messenger of Allah explained uh, the description and also the number, <coughs> right? How many times do we have to wipe the head? And also how do we wipe the head? So this, is, this detail is found in the authentic Sunnah, in the Hadith of Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Zayd, anhu. And he explained how the Messenger of Allah would, would do the wudu. And in that he would put his hand into the water container, so he'd wet his hands. And then he would uh, uh, begin from the front of the head here, front of the head, and return it all the way back to the back of the neck, and then bring it all the way back to the front again, right? So basically it would be wiping the head like that and bringing it all the way to the to the front again. And so this is the wiping of the head and In terms of the number, then the number is only done once. The Messenger of Allah, only did it uh, once. And what is intended here... uh, Okay, the Sheikh mentioned some scholars used to uh, held the view that uh, it would only be a part of, of the head. Um, the people used to dispute whether it is uh, part of the head or the whole of the head uh, some scholars held different views but this action of the messenger of Allah when he went like this then this is very decisive in terms of telling us exactly what part of the head are we supposed to supposed to wipe anyhow there will be some more details that come later inshallah to do with the, the wiping of the head because there's some additional things which are included in Um, the the head that will come shortly, inshallah. But the fourth obligation, before we come to that, the fourth obligation is washing the two feet up to the ankles, up to and including the ankles. The Sheikh goes on to say, what are the uh, Al-Ka'ban? Al-Ka'b is the the bone that protrudes just above the, the foot. It sticks out, you know, it's the ankle bone one on the inside one on the outside and so this is the ankle bone they are prominent bones that uh, come at the end of the shin at the bottom bottom of the shin at the front and uh, again the word ila ila because it says you know up, up until what does this mean uh, it can mean again two things it can mean either up to but not including or it can include up to and including. And uh, what we know is from the Messenger of Allah that He would uh, actually wash His uh, feet and it would actually go and include the, you know, the, the, the ankles. It would include the ankles. This is what is correct. And he mentions the hadith of Abu Huraira anhu that the Messenger of Sallam he made uh, he made uh, wudu he washed his hands until he started with the upper arm, right? So he actually reached through. So it's not just the elbow; it's part of the upper arm. And he washed his uh, two feet until he started upon what is the the lower part of the shin. So he actually actually reached the shin. When washing his feet, which so this means that in both instances it's up to and including, right? To make sure that nothing here in the limits is left untouched by water. And this is what is established in the Sunnah that the word ila is lil ma'iya, lil ma'iya, meaning that it includes the thing, right? So whether it is uh, the elbows or whether it is the, the ankles, the ankle bones, right? It is up to and including and actually beyond as well, as we clearly see from this hadith of Abu Anhu. Anyhow, here now you have the four basic obligations of the wudu. And as we saw in the issue of the face, the Sunnah added two additional things, Al-Madmada and Al-Istinshaq. And that's because the mouth and the nose is included within the face, and so therefore, the correct view is, in the, in the views of the scholars, that to, to rinse them and to sniff up, nose, sniff up water in the nose is actually an obligation because it comes under the obligation of washing the face. But now there are some other things that the sunnah has added on top of what we already know so far, right? So, the first of those things is to wipe the ears along with the head, because the ears are from the head, right? Remember, what do we say? What's the definition of the face? The face is from the hairline to the chin, this way, and from the start of the ear here to the start of the ear there. Not including, to the start of the ear. This now is your face here. And as for the head, and and likewise within the face is, is the mouth and the nose. Similarly with the head, the Sunnah has made clear that the ears are to be wiped because they are obviously they are part of the of the of the of the head. So the way in which this is done that we see in the sunnah, it is described as that you wipe the inside, the inside with your forefinger, like this, like this, and you cut it around like this, and then the outside with the thumb, like that, like this, and then also. There is another area which is known as the ear lock, right which is known as the you know the the, the two the two parts which are the asudran, right, which are the, known as the ear lock, and that ear lock is basically the end of the cheek where the cheek meets the ear and just below that ear, right so basically you wipe the back and then you bring it down like this, right, which is the ear lock, the part known as the ear lock like this, right so it's just The end of the cheek, which is is the end part of the definition of the face. And so that part is well, right? So be like that, like this, and then down like that. All of that is included within the head. So this is one additional detail mentioned in the Sunnah, because this now is part of the head. The second additional detail which comes in the Sunnah is what we call Takhleel, Takhleel al Which means to actually, uh, what is in between the fingers and the toes, right? That you can use your fingers of the other hand to basically make sure that the water has got through and nothing is left untouched. And so what the scholars explain is that if you know that the water has reached those areas, so as you're washing the hands, you know that the water has reached, then it is mustahab. It is mustahab to now do this, right? to ensure this now is mustahab. But if you know that just by washing like this, just the normal washing, and you can see that there is a part which sometimes you can tell it hasn't been touched with water, it appears to be whiter than the other part of the skin. Now it becomes an obligation to do so. right? So the obligation is when you know that the water hasn't actually gone in. This is more apparent sometimes when you wash your feet because obviously, the, 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 the toes of the feet are closely together than the fingers. And sometimes it can be the case that you pour water over your feet, but the gaps in between the toes have not been touched by water. In that case, it would be an obligation for you, right? To actually use your, 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 you know, your, your fingers to rub in between the toes, right? So this should, should not be neglected because the the water has to touch every part of the of the parts of wudu otherwise your wudu would not be valid and you would, your, your prayer would not be valid right so this is why in the sunnah there is an emphasis on, on you know doing the wudu well and emphasizing things and um, you know using without being extravagant but using you know plenty of water enough for you to do the wudu properly um, the third additional thing that is added in the sunnah now is we find that before you start washing the face then we know in the sunnah that the Messenger of Allah then he would actually commence with washing the hands Wait, the palms right? washing the hands the hands, right? So he would do that uh, three times. He would put his hands into the vessel and he would wash them. And um, this is something that is emphasized when you wake up at night. So, if you've been asleep and you, you arise from sleep, then the initial washing of the hands is actually emphasized. Right? Even though it's not an, like an obligation of the, of the wudu, but it is emphasized when you arise. Uh, from sleep. Okay. There's also another thing which has been added also to what has proceeded so far, which is that um, some of these things are done three times in the sunnah. Right? So from them are the washing and rinsing of, of the mouth and nose is done thrice. The washing of the face is done thrice. The washing of the hand and arms is done thrice. And washing of the feet is done thrice. Right? So this is something that has come additional in the Sunnah, though the obligation is only once for everything. Do you understand, right? So the obligation is only to do everything once. As long as you do everything once, this is a correct wudu. But the Sunnah has come with an addition, which is the Messenger of Allah would sometimes, he would, or most times, he would um, do that three times. In fact, it's reported once, it's also reported twice, and it's also reported three times for each of these things that I mentioned. Right? The face, the arms, the feet, and, and so on. So, but the obligation is only a single washing for each of those things which have actually been uh, mentioned. Now finally, so this gives us a good uh, overview of the wudu' and this brings us to the final few things mentioned by the Shaykh uh, Rahimahullah, and he said there are also now an additional number of things which are obligatory uh, with the wudu' The first of those is the niyyah. It is the intention which precedes the wudu. And the Messenger of Allah s. said, Innamal A'malu Bin Niyyat. Innamal A'malu Bin Niyyat. In another version. And so the first thing that a person must have is it must come to his mind that he is you know, that he's going to make wudu for the purpose of you know, attaining uh, purification. So he must have that Intention that thought or that knowledge must pass through his mind. Um, you know, if, if for example he just happens to be in, in hot weather and he decides to just go and um, you know, wash his face and wipe his arms and rinse his head because he wants to cool himself off and that was his reason for doing so, that was his intention for doing so, uh, and to likewise uh, rinse his feet and his legs, to, you know, to cool himself off, well, this doesn't count as wudu. This encounters not count as wudu because the intention was not there to do the actual wudu uh, requested in, in you know required in the Sharia in order to attain the state of purification, right? And to remove hadath to remove the state of you know minor impurity from yourself, right? So so the first thing is intention, which is simply your knowledge or, or the knowledge uh, existing or passing through your the thought passing in your mind. That you are going to make the wudu by which hadath is, is removed, the impurity is removed, and you are intending to do so to attain the state of uh, purification by which prayer becomes enabled. Right. The second thing is that we should also uh, understand uh, that we should understand as well is that the uh, uh, that the washing. Is only once, like the obligation, is only once. And the third thing that is essential is the Basmalah to say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Um, it is considered to be obligatory, and when you know a, a person can say the Basmalah as in when he remembers it, so he should say it first. But as he's doing wudu and, and you know, whenever he remembers, then he should say it. The Messenger of Allah he said uh, there is no prayer for the one who has no wudu, and there is no wudu for the one who did not mention Allah's name over it. So the scholars explain that you that you say it when you remember it as you about to commence the wudu or it can be any time during the wudu if you if you forget and you remember and if you completely forget and you never realized then there's there's nothing there's, there's, you know it, it doesn't does not invalidate your wudu uh, because you did not do it on purpose you 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 forgot and it wasn't intentional and uh, you know these types of uh, uh, forgetfulness and and slips of, of this nature are. Uh, are uh, forgiven and overlooked in the in the sharia but if you knew and you deliberately withheld then your wudu would not be would not be valid there's no reason for you not to when you when you recall to say r-Rahim. so that that hadith is authentic uh, mentioned by sheik al-bani he authenticated it okay so so far what have we done we've discussed all the four obligations which are mentioned in order in the verse we've mentioned additional things which have come in the Sunnah, which explain to us that the nose and the mouth are from within the definition of the face and the ears inside and out and the, the ear lock beneath. That all of this is part and parcel of the head. Right? And you know, the, the washing of the hands which is added at the beginning. And so all these details now, additional details which have come in the Sunnah to elaborate upon the four obligations. After this, we are left with the other two obligations, which have also come in the Sunnah. So the fifth obligation, then, therefore, is at-tartib, at-tartib, which simply means that you have to maintain the order which has come in the verse in the Quran, and that, you know, the specific order. You have to maintain that order, and this is the method of Imam Shafi'i, Rahimahullah, and Ahmed, and. Um, And uh, we see that the Prophet from his Sunnah, we know that he always did wudu in that particular order. And um, with the exception of the madmada and istinshaq, right? That you can do before the face or after the rest of the face, right? So that, that order itself has come in the Sunnah. The, the variation has itself come in the Sunnah. So we can act upon that variation. So you can wash... The mouth and the nose, rinse and sniff up water. You can do that before the rest of the face or after the face. This, it, both ways are from the sunnah. But other than that, you can't, for example, start with washing your feet or start with washing uh, your arms and then do the face. But you can't change the order. You have to stick to the order. Uh, this is considered to be the fifth obligation. Now the final is Al-Mualat which is as we said in English we can say it is either succession or it is continuity meaning there cannot be any delay in between washing for example you, start, you wash the face and then you go and sit down you know you do something and you come back and now you no, you can't do this you, can, you can't break and go and do something uh, because this now is discontinuity this would nullify your ablution uh, the Sheikh says that he, he says, al uh, muwalat The people of knowledge have defined and explained what is al muwalat, meaning succession and continuity. It means wahiy uh, alna yuakhir adwan. It is, um, you know, a person does not delay washing a limb until the last one that he washed has now dried. Right? For example, so if you if you come and you've um, you know washed your face which is the first uh, thing, first like major uh, obligation, then you decide to go and do something. You could be, I don't know, you decide to do something, you go and open the door for somebody, then you realize you had something to do, and and by the time a couple of minutes have elapsed, you come back and your face is now dry, now you have to start again. Right? You have to start again, because this condition has has been invalidated. Right? The succession is no longer present. So, um, the Sheikh says that there are some exceptions to this, for example. So, say for example, you are making wudu and you run out of water. Okay, so now you go and just fetch some more water and you continue where you left off, right? This, this, this would be fine. Or maybe something that you have a bout of sneezing or you have a bout of coughing which might take you, you know, some moments and as you regain your composure, you come back and then you continue where you left off. These types of things are, are basically fine. But if the delay is such that the last limb that you washed has now become dry, now this this obligation of continuity and succession has has now been invalidated, right? So you would have to start again from the from the beginning. The Sheikh says that um, yeah. Likewise, he gives some other examples. Like, for example, let's say uh, someone came and gave you salam. So you have to temporarily stop from doing your wudu and you return the Islam and then you return back. These types of things which are not in your choice to do so, these things do not invalidate this, this, you know, this, this, this obligation or, the, or this uh, requirement. Um, there is no harm in these types of things inshallah. But as for when it is prolonged and lengthened, then the wudu is batil, it is invalidated, because one of its obligations which is al-muwalat has been broken has been invalidated the sheikh says what has been used as evidence for this is the hadith of uh, Khalid ibn Mu'adan Radiallahu anhu from some of the sahaba that the prophet saw a man and on his uh, one of his feet there was a white patch right because sometimes you know you, you you wash and you can see there's a Part of the skin is actually whiter than other parts of the skin because it hasn't been touched and dampened by, by the water sometimes you see this and the minister noticed that this was uh, a man's uh, patch on his uh, foot was was not uh, wet so he ordered him to go to uh, go and to repeat the wudu and the prayer as well because obviously if, if the wudu is not valid then the prayer cannot be valid either this shows the great care that must be taken in order to make sure that the water reaches every part that it is supposed to reach. All the parts that, that have been mentioned and understanding clearly what is the definition of the arm, the Yad to the Mirafiq, right? Inclusive of. What is the definition of the, of the foot to the, to the ankle? Inclusive of and going above. What is the definition of face? What is the definition of the head? The ease and the, the in, in, inward and the outward parts of the ease, right? So all these things we have to very clearly understand, because this is, you know, the key. Uh, the, the, the key to the prayer is the purification, right? And um, so the purification has to be done correctly. And this brings us to the end of what the Shaykh, Rahimahullah, has explained very nicely, briefly, and very concisely for us in this particular uh, section. Uh, the next session there, there are another two sessions inshallah taala which we shall look at in the next lesson inshallah taala and with that we will we'll conclude today's lesson You can say it to yourself you know you can say it to yourself quietly you don't have to express it aloud um, and also in a modern sense uh, the lavatory is not what it would have been previously because whatever is the you know is is flushed and gone and removed from the vicinity but even then a the person should should you know uh, maybe just out of uh, precaution, just uh, it to himself, his breath or something like that. Allah knows best. See
1: that
0: again? Yeah. One of the details that wasn't mentioned, which obviously is an is, uh, important part, the Muslim would always begin with the right. Obviously, the hands come in pairs, the feet come in pairs. So... Um, arms are in pairs so the message would always begin with the right first and that's another additional detail which has come in the sunnah uh, which can be added to what has uh, preceded can a person perform what I mean, if there's a circum—I mean, I, I can't imagine a circumstance where that wouldn't be. If there's no access to water, but obviously, if there's no access to water, then the yamum is the replacement. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If if there is ever a situation where, yeah, well, zamzam water's there, but sometimes, unless it, it got blocked or it got dried up, or perhaps some—this has happened in the past that I know's best. But uh, when when there's when there's difficulty or hardship like that, then. Allah has given us the replacement for, the your mum, That would apply in that situation as well.
1: Allah
0: oh, knows best. Sure Allah knows best. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. What's uh. Sound? You know you wash your, arms, your hands and your arms. Yeah. They have to be this way. Uh, I mean what well, the Muslim would put water in his ham um, and then make it reach the rest of the arm. You know, so that's what we know. But the important thing is that the washing the arms in, is inclusive of the hand and is not just from here to here. You have to you have to wash the hand a part and parcel of the arm. Yeah. I'm really sorry, just,
1: just uh, he's got a question as well. Yeah. Uh, what you um, you doing here, so when you're doing your voodoo, yeah I and mean, you wipe these
0: socks. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You have to put the socks on straight
0: away but the like, next time you can do myself. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be in a state of wudu first. You have to have done wudu properly first before you can put the socks on in in order to be able to wipe over them, right? So if you if you are a resident, you're not travelling, then you can do so for the next day for the next like 24 hours. Um, and if you're a traveller, then it's for it's for 3 for 3 days, yeah. Yeah. You just swipe over the top and maybe just a bit around, you know, the back. Where the he- the, the heel is, yeah, to cover that area. And uh, that that's sufficient, yeah, yeah. Uh, asking, do you have to put the oh no, you don't have to put the socks in immediately. No, no. Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, if you, as long as you are in a state of wudu, uh, and you, you know, th- then you put the socks on. Then from that time that you put the socks on, you can do so for another day. Yeah. <laughs> On what, sorry? Reading the Quran for someone who's passed passed away. Okay. Yeah, well, the scholars generally, uh, in terms of what can benefit the dead, uh, there are some things which are clearly mentioned in very clear hadiths that a person can perform in order to benefit the dead, right? Giving of charity. forming an umrah, things of that nature. This is the view of many of the scholars that what can benefit the dead is restricted only to what has been specifically mentioned in the sunnah, right? This is the view of many of the scholars. However, there are other scholars also, and from the is Shaykul Islam Ibn taymiyyah they are of the view that uh, other good deeds outside of what have been specifically mentioned, can actually also be given by a believer to a deceased person, irrespective of who that deceased person is. He considers this to be from like a type of uh, charity and whatever. So that's the view of Sheikh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, that this, this is permissible to do so. And even though specific things have been mentioned in the sunnah, does not mean that that's a restriction. That's just some examples of what can be... Uh, the reward for which can be given but other things can be given as well from the deeds of a believer which he wants to voluntarily give to a deceased person however we have to distinguish between the form this takes for a person of the Sunnah who's of the view and innovated forms which are which are done by the people of innovation right so for example if a person was to hold this view and he's a person of the sunnah then he would for example maybe sit to recite the quran by himself you know and say oh allah this recitation of the quran please uh, make the reward uh, for my father for my mother for whatever and he does it on his own and, you know by himself as you know um, this form here if he holds that view which is been explained by Sheikh islam ibn and other scholars then that's how it would be done. But as for what is done by the people of innovation, and misguidance, where they say, right, uh, we want, you know, uh, 30 people to come and sit together on a Thursday evening, and we want every person to recite maybe Surah Yaseen or, or one juz or something, so we have the whole Qur'an or whatever, and then they count the number of, and then, you know, then they, they serve the food, they bring the food, and they say, Wallah, you know, we've we've done 2,000 Yaseens, and, you know, uh, Three thousand, this and this whatever please give all of this to so and so deceased person no this, this is bidah. this is disobedience this is misguidance this is innovation this is not acceptable to allah right because because the form here the form here is an innovated form even though the individual actions are, are legitimate actions reciting the quran feeding someone food these, these are good deeds but the form in which you've put it together the detail does not exist in the sunnah the time that you specify your thursday or the fourth day or the 40th day after a person's died right a gathering on a thursday or whatever day it might be you know certain number of recitations of the of surah yaseer or specific judge. this form is unknown that's an innovation that's a misguidance right but anyway th- those are the views uh, of, of 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 the scholars so to answer your question there are some scholars who do hold that view that you can uh, donate, so to speak, your good deeds uh, to a deceased person. Though most of the scholars they say, based upon the you know that, that whatever the Sunnah has specified that can be given, then, um, like as we said, fasting for a deceased person to make up his fasts, to give charity on behalf of a person, uh, to do umrah on behalf of a person, these types of things they are clearly mentioned. <laughs> In the sunnah, that they benefit the deceased person. Right? And that's a view held by uh, many, many, many scholars. So, yeah. In
1: continuation
0: of the Here in the cemetery what we see now is women sit by the grave
1: side and it's weeding the world. Women sit by the grave side, yeah. 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 So I think the intention is that we want this water to go. Yeah. But it seems to me now the graveyard. No, so it's that's, that's, that's Now it's moving on to.
0: These are all innovations. The the only objective for a person going to the graveyard is to give salam to the deceased and to to be reminded of death. Uh, These are the two wisdoms uh, on account of which we visit the graveyards. All these are the things what people are doing, you know, because for a person, the time to benefit from the Quran has gone. The Quran is guidance in the life of this world right to to make sure you prepare for the hereafter you're you're in the barzakh and you hear I mean you know uh, of what benefit is that going to be to you so can be any benefit to you because the time for action has <coughs> finished uh, the hadith when when the uh, when the when the son of Adam dies all of his amal is cut off except for three right charity which he gave knowledge that he disseminated and a righteous son that makes dua for him those are the things that will benefit him as for now listening to the quran that says you know establish the prayer and be good to your parents and give charity and uh, refrain from this and refrain from that how how can he act upon that because he, he's he's passed away right so th- these these are the innovations and they stem from from ignorance
1: Yeah. Alhamdulillah. The yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. There's a book in the book store which covers all these all these topics. Yeah. the
1: They want to sorry. They want to Yeah. Yeah. you Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that is a view held by, uh, explained by Sheikh Sam he's actually got an actual book uh, on, on this topic, discussing this topic, and if they were to hold that view uh, because some of these things are very uh, it's, it's hard for people to leave something they've been accustomed to for a very long time, and if there is a, a view that is held by you can direct them to that view and say, look don't do this, these innovations that these people do, you know if you do want to do something like that, then do it like this. This would be the correct form upon that view, right? And you could leave them that in that intermediate position to do that, you know, rather than be, be, be involved in all these kind of innovations that the people do. And, and you have to emphasize to them that this action would, would not be pleasing to Allah if you participate in any of these things, right? This, this, this brings the, the anger of Allah because it is, it is opposition to the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, yeah.
1: What if they're doing this action, not knowing the view of Ibn Taymiyah, but they're doing it just because it's culture, even though it's correct. Yeah, everything's correct, nobody involved, but the intention is just doing it because it's
0: culture. Well, that, that, that's 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 in the knowledge of Allah Azawajal. The action may, will not be accepted because it opposes the Sunnah, but perhaps for, for the for the intention, Allah may give them something for the for their intention. But that that is in the knowledge of Allah. It's like what Shaykh Islam said about those who celebrate the Prophet's birthday. There's some people who he says that he's not justifying it, but he's saying that some people their only real attachment to the religion are some of these kind of innovations like celebrating the Prophet's birthday, for example, which they've been accustomed to. And if you were to prohibit them from that, they would lose their religion. So so these types of people, um, you know, they they won't be rewarded for, for the actual celebration and all that, because that that's that's a biddah. But for the intention and the love that they have then perhaps Allah will Allah will reward them for that, you know, because they they are generally they ignorant and there's no one to really educate them and teach them or you know yeah. to that level. If you were to give your, um, your like
1: Quran if you were to the Quran Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you're donating that deed to the to the to the yeah. person. That's right. Yeah, for, yeah, some, some, some yeah. Of yeah. you're donating the deed, but your your part of it is doing the the donation. You're not getting rewarded for the deed itself, because that deed you are donating to that to that diseased person, in in that view. Uh, but you know, you, you may be rewarded for for the act of charity, because mm-hmm. because Ibn Taymiyyah's reasoning is that if a person can give his mal, then his deeds are from his mal. Right, so you you're donating from from what what belongs to you, and so that's an act of charity. So even though the actual reward for the deed that you did, you are donating to the deceased person. In that view, that uh, doesn't mean that your deed itself, your deed itself is still a good deed. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you allowed to maintain it and do you know to define out
1: where the actual grave
0: is? you are you allowed to what? Sorry, maintain. Yeah. You mean remove the excess grass so that the the grave is clearly defined? I mean well well yes, because uh, ordinarily there would be a stone or there would be something to indicate that there's a grave here. Uh and if because obviously there are other things that that follow on from knowing that there's a grave there. You can't, you shouldn't really walk over it and you shouldn't pray there and things like that. So yes, that would be uh, something desirable to do to make known that there's actually a, 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 a grave site here or a grave here. Uh, that whether that would do by removing the grass or putting like a stone there or something or whatever. Yes, that would be. Sorry. Removing what? weeds well are you remove the whole thing that's there because the intention is to delineate the grave from everything else so if that's if that's that's what you mean by getting rid of the weeds yeah
1: no, I mean, you've already, you've already yeah the, next yeah.
0: the, so better, the weeds the well i know best That's as long as the grave is delineated and clear. Then the weeds are just part of natural growth. They're going to come again and again and again. It's, you know, but as long as the grave is clearly uh, known that there's a grave here with a stone or something like that. You know, on the on the ground. Yeah. But ordinarily speaking, see this this wouldn't this situation would would ordinarily you know that there'd be a graveyard site in general, and people would generally know there's a graveyard site here, which would be known through other indications like like a wall or be other kind of things, but if it happened that there was just one or two graves somewhere in the you know, and you know theres there's graves here, yeah
1: yeah yeah,
0: yeah, 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 no situations then that yeah, it's good to do that, yeah.
1: Do it everywhere. Uh, yeah. read, uh, Quran. Is that the is that the only sure. when you say, it and the
0: Quran? Yeah, that's that's an innovation. <laughs> that's are not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. That's not allowed. None of the companions did this, none of the Imams did this. This is this is not known to do this. Um, but if he was an individual, <coughs> as one person, you know, Uh, you just happen to read the Qur'an or you did charity or you did some other deed in the view of some scholars like I said they restrict it only to certain actions charity, umrah, things like that some of the scholars are of the view that you can apply it to generally all good deeds but that's you on an individual personal basis that you maybe give some charity you say, Allah, make this for my mother, my father maybe you sat and you read you know, uh, a few pages of the Qur'an or or a surah or something and you say, Allah, make this recitation, the reward to reach you know, my father, my mother, on an individual basis, in your own privacy, whatever. If you hold that view, then that would be permissible to do. But as for gathering everybody together in a group and saying, read Surah Yaseen, you know, 10 times each, or uh, juz each, or whatever, and then you have food, and then you, you, know, you choose the fourth day or the 40th day, all of these are innovations, bid'a. It is, uh, we become a sin to do that. it's not it's not righteousness because you are you are changing the religion of allah you are altering the religion of allah because this was never done by the companions by was never done yeah and also this type of these types of innovations they encourage people to abandon acting upon the religion right because you have for example you might have a very wealthy man he's thinking to himself okay whatever you know i'll I'll live my life in joy you know but when i die i'm gonna have so much money i'm gonna have so many people come and read the quran and i'm gonna feed so many people so they're going to all gonna come and inshallah that's going to save me right so this is how people start now thinking in this manner and what you do is you weaken the actual practice of the religion people leave the obligations people fall into the prohibitions because they think that there's going to be some easy way of salvation right this is uh, to to be saved on the day of judgment salvation right meaning to be saved on the day of judgment this is the way shaitan comes done the same with the jews done the same with the christians because it's in the nature of people to always find the quickest the shortcut to everything just in the nature of people to want to you know and same with religion Right? People want to find what's the easiest, quickest way for salvation. Meaning, to be saved on Yomul Al Qiyamah. Right? And uh, this is why bid'ah, innovation, is very appealing to people. Right? For example, that's why people go to these graves. They think, you know, okay, uh, let me visit so-and-so graves, so-and-so's grave. He's a Wali, he's close to Allah. Let me go there. Let me go and sacrifice a chicken. Let me go and donate some money. Let me go and make tabarruk, whatever. Let me go and ask the wali, make intercede for me with Allah. So he'll do that and the rest of his life is, well, he maybe doesn't even pray, doesn't even fast, doesn't even do any of the obligations because he thinks this wali is going to save him on the Day of Judgment. Right? This, is, this is trying to find a cheap and easy and a quick way to enter paradise. Only only way we can enter paradise is through the Quran and the Sunnah. right But shaitan comes along and he basically deceives and tricks people by making them enter into innovations which are not from Allah's religion. right So these types of things are, are from those types of things, where people get together in a house or a mosque, they have these, you know they have um, what you call them date stones, for example, or they might have you know dried chickpeas or something i don't know to count the number of times that you know they're reciting la ilaha illallah or a, a surah from the quran and then they then they fill one whole bowl and they, okay that's okay there's a thousand here so we've done it a thousand times and they count all this is bidah, this innovation misguidance we know the companions never did such a thing the imams never did such a thing abu hanifa malik shafi ahmad never did such a thing Right? So this is not from our religion to do this. Yeah. I thought yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had Yeah. Uh I
1: had a young brother come to speak to me regarding, regarding the prayer. He said he's not praying. And his talk process was he's like smoking
0: He's what? Well, we, we, we learn the, the wisdom in the Qur'an. We know that the prohibition of alcohol was, was gradual. Um, and initially they were told of the harms of alcohol more so than the, than the benefit. And then they were told not to come to the prayer while they are uh, taking uh, intoxicants, the alcohol. Uh, then they, obviously then the prohibition came, came afterwards. So the first thing he should be told, irrespective, is that the obligation of prayer upon you, it's a greater sin you not praying than you taking the weed. You're more sinful for abandoning the prayer, and in the view of scholars, it's actually kufr. Right? So you know, uh, if, if you abandon the prayer, not praying at all, then you are a kafir in the view of many of the, 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 the scholars, of the Muslims, Muslims, right? Uh, even out of laziness and neglect, if you abandon all of the prayers, right so he should be told that that for you not to pray at all is is in fact disbelief in the view of, of uh, many scholars, so you absolutely have to pray, right you absolutely have to pray when the time enters, and then whatever. As for the intoxication then uh, then you can tell him afterwards that you know uh, you should not. Take the weed around or before the time of prayer. So what you're doing is you you are basically restricting and narrowing the or the opportunities for him to basically take take the weed. But it has to start with him fulfilling the actual obligation, right? That's not a valid excuse that because I'm intoxicated I can't. You know, um, and we know that the ayah was revealed about. Telling the people that do not come to the prayer while you are intoxicated, which means that before that they, they would have been doing that, and then they were prohibited from doing that, so that now tells them, that, okay, we better be careful about not drinking before the actual time of the prayer or not being intoxicated during the time of the of the prayer. So this would maybe make that person think, well, okay, like if we, if we go through that sinful person's mind in the way the sinful person would be thinking, you know. He said, well, okay, maybe I should take the weed after Isha. And by the time I get up in the morning and, you know, uh, had some sleep, whatever, maybe the effect will be worn off. And then I can, you know, so like there's a certain way he'll start thinking to, to make sure that the weed he's taking is taking only at certain times of the day or maybe when he wakes up in the morning, you know, because then he's got like maybe six, five, six, seven hours till, till Dhuhr or something, you know. so um, So you have to start with making him commence the obligation without which his islam would not even be affirmed so would he rather die as a kafir or would he die as a sinful muslim who's taken weed alongside his prayers very simply you have to you have to present that to him first and then use the wisdom that come in the, in the in the quran and the sunnah to basically restrict and narrow down the opportunities and the times in which in which he can take the intoxicant and then eventually as he increases in 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 iman, he will let go of the habit altogether. Inshallah, ta'ala, you know, with the right advice, with the right knowledge, um, it's harmful to him. It's harmful to his brain, to his body. You know, he's just killing himself. You know, destroying himself. Um, and The short term pleasure does not not worth the long term uh, long term uh, harm. And then obviously he need, needs needs to be advised in these kind of things as well. But yeah, he has to be told straight away that you you cannot abandon the outright the, the, the prayer. Would
1: the prayer would the prayer of the person not be valid for forty days? And you know,
0: in that in that instance yeah. the, the prayer wouldn't be valid for forty days because that's then that's from the hadith. And for, uh, if it wasn't valid for forty days, if it's for forty days and then pray after that, would it then be there? He he would st- irrespective the obligation to pray still stands. As for whether Allah would accept that prayer or not, that's that's in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it depends on that person. That person could, for example, he could be a new Muslim, right? And he knows nothing about Islam. He's come from a background of, of smoking weed. And, um, you know, um, so we tell him, you must start praying. So he prays while he's, he tries to play while, while he's intoxicated or whatever this now isn't in, in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, he, he can't abandon his prayer, he has to still pray. As for whether it's acceptable or not, then that is in the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, that, that varies from person to person. If there was a Muslim who knows the rulings, for example, and uh, out of <coughs> sin, he took the intoxication, and then, then he prayed, and he knew this, you know, he's not new to Islam or anything, we can say that that person's prayer would not uh, be, be accepted. But there are different circumstances where, where these situations arise and it's not always the same. So we have to make those distinctions. Inshallah. So, could,
1: could you say example, if he prays and he of the punishment. Yeah.
0: Be well, well, either way, you'll be punished for disbelief, in one view, or you'll be punished for sin, in the other view, where abandoning prayer is not disbelief. So... Um, well, would, he, would he not be rewarded it, but
1: he will, will save himself from punishment sorry? sorry? Uh, he won't be rewarded for the, for the prayer it's not accepted for 40 days
0: yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah, yeah. From well that's, that, that's right because to, to abandon the prayer is, 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 a, is a major sin so you would be punished for not, mm-hmm. for not establishing the prayer yeah, so you're saving yourself from punishment mm-hmm. either way mm-hmm. yeah, as, for the, as for the reward aspect as we said, that depends on who you are and what your circumstances are. Like a new Muslim, that's all he knows. You know, he's trying to fight the habit, he's trying to strive against his soul. Allah knows best his sincerity. If he's sincere and he's trying his best, then you know, inshallah, maybe Allah will will, uh, will reward him for, for whatever he's put forward. Sir, sir. Yeah? I'm just going to ask you a quick question about the uh, This was the last thing. Uh, when somebody's tired, you want to make du'a for them, are you to them to allowed to raise your hands? Yes, you can, yeah. You can raise your hands for making dua for the deceased. Yeah. And just to go back to the other point we were making now uh, regarding uh,
1: smoking weed, if somebody smokes weed for a sincere repentance, then only, obviously only Allah knows if he'll accept the prayer, but there's a high chance that Allah will accept the prayer.
0: Is that right? Or? If, if a person is put to trial with like smoking weed and he's made, uh, making sincere repentance and he abandons it, um, if that's what you mean, then he then he then, then he prays. While well, how how do you mean? Oh yes 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 so, yeah. If he
1: accepted if and it's
0: a Yeah, he has to he has to pray regardless. Yeah. So even if he's smoking weed, he's still got to pray, yeah. right? Um, but if he makes toba yeah. from his sin, yeah. then obviously that toba is to remove. The sinfulness and the punishment for the sin. Yeah. As for the actual good deeds he does, uh, then obviously Allah will, Allah will accept them inshallah. ta'ala. you know, so yeah, Allah will accept them. His, his good deeds are separate. Exactly. <laughs> just, uh, if, so, if you're is it, so, it's ninja part
1: of wudu. It's what? It's ninja.
0: That's that's uh, well, that's not part of the wudu. That's just part of removing najasa. Right? So part of purification. Purification is defined as Izalatun Najasa war Raf'ul Hadath. This is a definition definition of what it means to be pure. Right? So it's to remove any physical impurities from your body or your clothing. And it is Raful Hadath, which is to remove the state of impurity, meaning that you've uh, relieved yourself um, you know, so the the istinja that you mentioned is that you have to remove any traces of any impurities that are left on your body, right? So that that's part of purification, although it's not part of the actual wudu. It's
1: necessary.
0: Yeah, it's necessary. Yeah, because it's it's tahara is izalatun uh, najasa to to remove impurities. Yeah, so you have to wash that that away. Yeah. You can do the you can do prayers uh, like to make of, uh, did not pray. so that again? The prayer
1: that you missed. Yeah.
0: That. No, no. Well, if if it depends what the reason was. If it's forgetfulness, if it's illness, if it's these kind of issues, then you, you pray at the earliest time that you remember the prayer. Right. If there's a reason. But if it, if there's no reason, then that's been lost. You can't. You can't make it. It's been lost. Fine uh, did I mention the, the back of the? Yeah, just the back part. Yeah, you can wipe over the top, and just because that's that's part of the upper part of the the foot. Not. I don't mean the heel here underneath. Just the back up, maybe a bit the back there. The, if you're holding the Musaf without translation, yeah, then uh, the scholars differ, but generally the most correct view is that you should have Wudu, uh, and they bring various evidences. They bring various evidences uh, to show why that is the stronger opinion. That if you're reading from the Mus'haf, holding the Mus'haf, then you should have uh, been in a state of uh, Dhaharah, state of purification.
1: So, uh, nowadays a lot of people you know like let's say a brother passes away they, they do stuff like uh, charity on behalf of him even even though he's not uh, their parent so he might be a friend or a brother uh, I was reading this book from book the bookstore called uh, Life in al- Barzakh by Mustafa yeah. al and uh, he mentions in there that um, that this is a wrong view to hold and he mentions the hadiths that are mentioned yeah. that uh, The people that came to the Prophet they always said, my father passed away, or my mother passed away, should I do hajj on the behalf, or should I give charity? And the answer was always yes, apart from when someone asked for their parent who was a prophet. Um, So the mention in there that uh, Ibn Taymiyyah says that the salaf obviously more eager than those to do good deeds, and there's no mention. The only way you can do it for other than your parents, is if you find it apart from the Salaf. Mm-hmm. So I asked Talha. And he showed me one uh, example where the Prophet heard a man making intention to do Hajj, and in one narration he said that it was for his uh, brother, and in another he said that it was other than his brother, like a friend. Mm-hmm. So should we limit that just to Hajj or does that Give us the reason why I'm confused is because if it's not just for Hajj and you can do the charity and all the things, then people would read Quran on behalf of the deceased,
0: but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like, like I said, the scholars have different, but generally, the more sound view is that the, the sunnah restricts, has defined, which specific actions come under the, 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 the ability to pass on the reward for deeds. Mm-hmm. So, so there are those things that I mentioned, like uh, the umrah and uh, making up missed fasts, giving charity, yeah, and yes. sacrificing, uh, you know, sheep or whatever to, to give to the poor or something. Those are the kind of things that have come in the, the book and the sunnah. So that's what many scholars many scholars hold. And other than that, uh, the general verses in the Quran they they show the, uh, that a man cannot benefit. A man will not have except what he put forth of his own striving. Right? So
1: it mentions that his children are of.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So then that's the general yeah. negation. But then the exception is what comes mm. in these specific instances. That's why, so those scholars of all of you say, yes, the, these things which, are, which I mentioned are the exceptions which have come mm. specified by the sunnah for the types of things where the reward can be can be conveyed, can be passed on. It's like these specific defined actions. So, well as I said, yeah, that's that's what many, many scholars hold. Seems to be the soundest opinion. But th- there are, I, I know th- th- there is other, other other views held, you know, by, by other scholars.
1: the strong, the stronger opinion? Is, is the
0: uh, well this this view here? This view here? Yeah, yeah this view here.
1: Because the, you did mention in the book that. If people have this view, then it could give them the mindset that I've got good friends and family, so when I pass away, they can sort of uh, yeah. Well, it, it kind of
0: leads uh, towards that, like yeah. like we mentioned, that a lot of people, to the extent that it now leads into like innovated yeah. forms of doing those deeds. So it's like a stepping stone. It's true. Yeah.
1: Well, so, you know the graveyard? Can you can you give salam to the dead person?
0: You give salam in general when you, you enter the graveyard. Yeah, not to like a specific. Uh, you give Islam to the Muslims okay. who are in the in the graveyard, in, in general.
1: So, if you're specifically at a grave, you, you, you shouldn't say Islam? I don't
0: know that to be okay. from the action. Okay. Uh, the the messenger clearly explained, that, you know, assalamu alaikum ya ahl al diyar. You know, that's that's what he said. That's what he used to say. As the companion used to say. So it's a general salam to to the inhabitants of the graves.